is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Good evening and welcome to Psychiatry Today with Dr. Scott. This is your host, Dr. Scott Bay, your psychiatrist with all the latest mental health news. On this show, you'll hear everything about the mind, the brain, human behavior, how to feel well emotionally, how to cope better with stress, how to rid yourself of bad habits, and how to make sense of media reports about the latest research into the causes and potential new treatments for mental illness. Delivered to you without the hype and distortion of other media sources, with the benefit of more than 20 years in the practice of psychiatry, and also striving to reduce the stigma associated with having a psychiatric diagnosis and needing treatment for it, and better informing the general public about mental health issues. And this is the first edition of Psychiatry Today for 2016, pre-recorded for airing first on January 6th. Happy New Year to all of you. I hope that you had a good <clears throat> few weeks since we last got together, the last new podcast of 2015. It was on December 23rd, right before Christmas and New Year holiday break, which uh, I have to admit I took time off, badly needed. Unfortunately, if you're listening closely, you can tell my voice is somewhat hoarse. Apologize for that. Uh, caught a bit of an upper respiratory infection a few days ago. But you know how the show business saying goes, the show must go on. Fortunately, not bad enough for me to miss three podcasts in a row. Um, <clears throat> so far, so good. Hopefully, I'll have enough voice by the end of this one. I want to welcome back listeners from previous years to this podcast and also welcome any of you who may be listening for the first time. Uh, the goals for the show remain the same. Again, like I say in the intro, which you hear every week, uh, debunk myths and misconceptions, reduce stigma, better inform the otherwise uh, unknowing general public about mental health issues, uh, give you the information in a straightforward, easy-to-understand manner that other doctors and experts either won't or can't do. And I decided, you know, one of my goals for 2016 to try to, when I can, lighten things up. Um, you know, I feel like past couple of years I probably focused too much on the tragedies of mental health in the news, uh, not the least of which is because there were far too many of them, and unfortunately there are most likely going to be more. But wherever possible, I'm going to also try to lighten it up, have some fun while informing, and if I'm having fun communicating this information to you, then I'm hoping that you'll have more fun uh, hearing it. And uh, at the same time, it will still be informative. So with that, I uh, hope you had a holiday season that wasn't too stressful. Um, there are many reasons why people get stressed over the holidays, of course. Um, 
They tend to feel obligated to do things and buy things and go places and see people that they have no interest in and uh, spend the holidays in ways that run counter to their own personal wishes out of a sense of obligation and guilt. Of course, I've long advocated that this is really not necessary at all, um, despite the fact that people may voice anger uh, if you choose to spend the holidays in a different manner, and people may try to guilt trip you about it. Uh, it's up to you to make the admittedly difficult choice to go on and enjoy the holidays the way you prefer. Notice I said try to guilt trip you. That's right. I want you to think of a guilt trip as something that someone is trying to give you. Um, but you don't have to accept it. Uh, unlike that Christmas gift that comes wrapped uh, without a uh, gift receipt inside should you decide you don't like it. Um, a guilt trip doesn't give you that chance, so your best bet is not to accept it in the first place. Uh, difficult concept, I know, much easier said than done, but I'm just trying to plant the seed. Realize that when someone's making you feel guilty, it's up to you whether you allow that to happen or not. Now, the first article I want to talk about tonight has to do with the people you don't want to be around aspect of the holidays. And even though it's after the holidays, this really is applicable year-round. Um, it may peak during the holidays uh, when it comes to particular people you don't look forward to seeing at big gatherings every year, but it could easily apply to everyday situations, regardless of what time of year. When you're dealing with difficult people who make you feel bad about yourself. So this needn't be the ones you see annually at big family gatherings. It uh, certainly could potentially help those of you who deal with people like that on a daily basis at work or your neighbors, you know, whether you live in a house or an apartment, what have you. Um, <clears throat> the name of the article is Seven Ways to Deal with Difficult People. Now, I want you to know that when a title sounds like, well, it's just some fluff, pop site type thing, you know, self-help without scientific basis, don't you worry. I pre-read everything carefully, and if there aren't at least some very useful pearls or nuggets of wisdom in these articles, I wouldn't bring it to you. I wouldn't waste your time, I assure you. So what we'll do is I'll read the essay to you as the author wrote it, and then along the way I'll give you my opinions and insights, tell you where I agree with the author or not, and why, and uh, add to uh, their advice. Now, the name of the author is Therese Borchard. She is a columnist, online columnist, in the uh, online column Everyday Health. Um, <clears throat> and so her article uh, originally appeared some weeks back. 
in uh, everydayhealth.com. So uh, again, I'll be reading her article uh, as the author wrote it, and we'll stop along the way to consider her advice. So she starts out by saying, difficult people are like the termites of the human spirit. They can be eating away at the tender parts of you for months on end before you notice. And then suddenly at a work meeting or a family dinner, you lose it. You might scream something unkind or have a temper tantrum, much like a two-year-old or even do something drastic, like start binge drinking again after a few years of sobriety. Unfortunately, living on Earth requires dealing with others unless you want to isolate yourself. So having some techniques in mind, especially during the holidays and other times of vulnerability, you can help arrest their damage before your structure crumbles. I just want to say I love the imagery of difficult people being characterized as termites, just sort of eating away from the inside, uh, deteriorating and degrading the human spirit, uh, just reducing these people you don't want to deal with and find dif uh, difficulty dealing with to the image of this lowly insect. I mean, doesn't that help already? Uh, I think so. Um, and also, uh, like we talked about before I started reading the article, she mentions that uh, this needn't be the holidays. It can be a work situation. And uh, <clears throat> there are other, time, other times of vulnerability, uh, she mentions, besides the holidays. So really, that can be any day. You never know when you're going to be vulnerable to a attack of this uh, vermin, uh, difficult person. And the, lest you thought the comment about start binge drinking after a few years of sobriety was somewhat hyperbolic, I can assure you that as someone who used to do a lot of work in the addictions field, uh, unfortunately, no matter how solid someone is in their recovery, if they run across someone like this who knows their vulnerable spots and probes them, then yes, that can happen. All right, so she starts with uh, the seven ways to deal with difficult people. Number one, identify your landing pads for difficult people. Okay, again, she carries through the metaphor of these people being termites. So termites don't eat healthy wood. Depending on the kind of termite, they either like moist, soft fibers or dry, parched wood. If you think about it, difficult people like to go for the damaged spots as well. Not intentionally, of course, most of the time. Although, uh, I'll say uh, as an aside here, yes, uh, there are some people who are that sadistic and they will go for those vulnerable spots intentionally. Okay, going on. We all have weak areas, tender patches that haven't been fully healed from traumatic events or hurtful conversations or remnants of childhood baggage. Those holes provide landing pads 
for difficult people. But if we are aware of our own vulnerabilities, then we can relax around our co-worker who degrades us at company meetings, or our brother-in-law who makes fun of our diet, because we know it's not really about them. It's about our own insecurities. Now, I'll just pause here because we're about to go to a first commercial break. Uh, I think this is one of the key bits of advice from her article. Knowing your own emotional vulnerabilities, knowing what your soft spots are, uh, this is bound to improve your defense uh, against attack. All right, so we'll take our first break. We'll finish up uh, the first way to deal with difficult people and go on to the other six. You're listening to Psychiatry Today with Dr. Scott. Be right back after these messages. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key and the trained staff at EHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose, and with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, Visit LibertyOnCall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to Psychiatry Today with your host, Dr. Scott Bay. And 
we are reviewing an article about the seven ways to deal with difficult people written by a health columnist, Therese Borchard. And uh, we're on the first one, identify your landing pads for difficult people. In other words, knowing where your vulnerable emotional areas are, usually because of past trauma, usually but not always from childhood. <clears throat> she goes on to say, the other day when I was fighting through a terrible case of stuck thoughts triggered by a difficult person, it occurred to me that it wasn't about her at all. A comment she made simply fell into the chasm opened up by my biggest childhood wound that is still rather exposed, that if I don't fix a person or make her feel good about herself, something terrible is going to happen to me. That was the message I got back when my brain was forming synapses as a kid. So whenever I feel as though I've disappointed someone or caused him or her pain, I experience a peculiar kind of anxiety and obsessive compulsive disorder, remnants of childhood baggage still left in the front hall. <clears throat> now that level of insight is wonderful. And if you can achieve that, you're well on your way to stealing yourself against the attack of the difficult person, as it were. Um, because if you can defend your own vulnerable insecurities, you know where they are, you know what they are and where they're from, <clears throat> that makes them far less vulnerable to this type of attack. And she mentions how she used to get these messages that triggered uh, this big emotional soft spot as a child. Uh, and, and she says, while my brain was forming synapses. I mean, your brain really doesn't completely finish developing until around age 25. Um, it's only in the last uh, couple of decades that neurologists figure this out. I always love to point out here that um, auto insurance actuaries figured it out decades ago, not knowing anything about neuroanatomy, right? Car insurance rates go down after age 25. Okay, anyway, the point being is that a common reason for having these emotional soft spots, unfortunately, is parents or other prominent, uh, important persons in someone's life hammering away at, uh, negatively um, rather than being motivating or uh, through um, negative feedback or fear. This is uh, likely to develop someone into uh, a person with very low self-esteem, anger, rage, codependency, what have you. All right, so again, this the uh, main point of number one way to deal with difficult people, know your vulnerable spots, know where they came from, and that way you're less vulnerable to an attack. Number two, stretch and breathe through your weak spots. Okay, so if you've conquered, number one, you're ready to move on to this. And again, reading her article, she says, At yoga last week, the instructor told the class that the more difficult the pose, the more we need to do it because the discomfort signals 
that healing needs to happen. So if you're experiencing repetitive pain from dealing with a certain person, you could consider your encounters with the annoying sucker as an opportunity to get out a journal and write out what specifically is causing you the pain. Is it the way he says something, the inflection in his voice, how often he says it, or the expression on his face as he's delivering the verbal grenade? Visit it over and over again in your head and break it apart. Where exactly does your body become uncomfortable? Do your shoulders lift in tension and does your neck get stiff? Then when you identify the hurt, the spot of penetration, breathe through it. Breathe in to a count of five, hold it for two counts, breathe out to a count of five and hold it for two more. Repeat that a few times. You might even try stretching your body in a certain way as you revisit what ticked you off so badly, always continuing to breathe. Now, I think this is fabulous. It takes some practice and some work. And of course, it is not pleasant to contemplate purposely thinking about these encounters that you have with these most difficult people that make you feel so bad. But if you're interested in conquering these interactions with these people and uh, not allowing them to get you in that horrible emotional state, I think this is a great method. <clears throat> you simply cannot discount the effect of anxiety and stress on the body. It causes muscle tension. It causes uh, alterations in uh, heart rate and respiratory rate. So absolutely, yes, no matter how you think this sounds, taking control over your breathing, being aware of changes in your muscle tone and uh, stretching and breathing as you uh, play out these negative interactions in your mind, absolutely will help you cope better the next time you encounter that person. Uh, agree with that wholeheartedly. All right, number three. <laughs> this is this is also great, but it depends a lot on your ability to um, call up imagery in your own mind. Visualize them as children or running water. She says, one technique that helped me a lot when I was in the midst of a two-year suicidal depression and was surrounded by an army of folks who were anti-medication and anti-Western medicine was to visualize them as children. Whenever someone was in the middle of telling me that antidepressants were a cop-out and depression can only be cured through mind control, I would take a deep breath and visualize my son's head on that person. I couldn't expect my two-year-old to understand the complexities of mood disorders and to say anything intelligent about mental health, right? So visualizing whoever was giving me expert opinions on the law of attraction or Scientology as a cute two-year-old helped mitigate the hurt. At other times, 
Whenever someone would try to give me opinions about what I was doing wrong in my recovery, I would visualize myself as a water wall like the famous one in Houston. Whatever babble emerging from the person's mouth in front of me was water rushing down my wall. It didn't change my wall because my wall was firm, so I could let whatever she had to say run down without altering my essence or getting me too upset. That's very uh, rich imagery. So much to comment on here. Uh, the main thing about this particular method she talks about, number three, she reveals to her readers uh, that she suffered with suicidal depression for two years. Um, talk about knowing your vulnerable spots. And she reveals that uh, people prominent in her life uh, certainly were uh, poorly informed uh, about depression and antidepressants and Western medicine. And they tried to advise her uh, that taking medication was a cop-out, which is very, very bad advice. If she had listened to that, she uh, quite likely could have gone on to commit suicide. Uh, this happens all the time when people who are depressed take uh, the bad advice they're given by people close to them in their life. Uh, so to change uh, the way she perceives this um, ill-conceived feedback to either reducing it to the uninformed babbling of a toddler I hate that she has to use her son's face as the imagery. She could just, you know, why, why pervert the image of your own child uh, by putting it on the face of or the head of that child on the face of people you find so hateful? I, I think if, if you find that a little bit much, I'm sort of with you. Um, you can just make it any uh, child's face or head you want, and um, that trivializes the negative message coming from the difficult person. Uh, but also, again, just, just how I love the image of the water wall, right? You see yourself as this beautiful decorative wall that's um, a focal point in a plaza or a garden, and the water is just flowing down but not having any impact. It's just literally flowing off the surface of this wall and... Um, not uh, having any impact on the wall at all, um, not diminishing its beauty, perhaps even enhancing it. And if you just you know, ignore the negative messages and what the difficult person is saying, and you can just visualize what the words coming out of their mouth as water that's just flowing down but not affecting you. Uh, that, that is simply fabulous, I think. Again, easier said than done. Okay, and let's keep in mind that um, she is a writer, so she has an excellent way with words. This is not expected to come as easily for everybody, but I definitely think there's a lot all of us can uh, take from her advice. <clears throat> now, we'll start number four. I'm going to have to interrupt it for the next commercial break, but let's get it going. Number four is write out the script. Now, she starts out by saying... This one takes a bit of preparation, and I could not agree more. 
She says, but for holiday gatherings or any type of occasion, when you predict substantial drama, it's worth the time investment. Take a pad of paper and list all the people who tend to land on your soft spots or who pokes knives there. What are the questions or conversations that are the most loaded for you? Where do you usually get stuck? All right, well, this is a natural place to pause. We'll finish up number four, way to deal with difficult people, and five through seven when we come back. After this commercial break, you're listening to Psychiatry Today with Dr. Scott. Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on the Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctors' conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to Psychiatry Today with your host, Dr. Scott Bay, your source for all mental health-related news and... On this podcast, we're talking about seven ways to deal with difficult people, and we're, we've just started number four, write out the script. So author Therese Bouchard says, for me, one of the questions that irritates me at family gatherings, which I can expect to hear twice at Thanksgiving and twice at Christmas, is whether or not I get paid to blog. Now, I realize that most people don't get paid to write. That's the sad truth about this business. But it's insulting to me nonetheless because blogging is my profession, not my hobby. Could you imagine the reaction if I asked the same question back to these people? When you work on people as a radiologist and look through all those scans and stuff, do you get paid? So I jot down this question along with my response, which is, yes, I am employed just like you are. Then I follow it up with something that diverts us from the topic, like, and how old are your children now? Or, is it snowing yet up where you are? Or, what is your favorite thing about the holidays? I list about five alternate places I can go. 
Sometimes, if I'm in a delicate place in my life, I write out an entire script for Thanksgiving or Christmas dinner and list over 20 different conversation starters I can throw out before someone weighs in about my depression or my hobby or if I find the dialogue heading toward my soft spots. The weather is always good, but you can be creative with this if you put some effort into it. As you're driving to the party, remember how old everyone's kids are. That's always good fodder, where they live and what their occupations are and hobbies, but try to know the difference. All right, so in this segment, the author reveals that she gets a lot of negative feedback for being a blogger. She has a lot of family members who don't understand that she is a writer, that is her profession. It just so happens that she happens to write a blog as opposed to books or magazine articles or newspaper articles or what have you. It doesn't have to be that specific. The point being is that when you know you're going to be asked the same uh, negative, critical, abusive questions, and it happens to you, in, like in her case, twice a year at both holidays, not just once a year at each or once a year period, then one way to gird yourself against this difficult person attack is to write out a script. Now, again, she is a writer, Okay, so of course this is going to flow more easily for her. Um, it won't be as easy for the rest of us who are not writers. Still, I think a worthy exercise and something that can be very helpful in terms of dealing with difficult people and preparing in advance for uh, an answer. Okay, like in her case, uh, people deride blogging as a hobby as opposed to a profession and a way to uh, be paid uh, as an occupation. So she has her ready retort. Yes, I'm employed just like you are. And she quickly changes the subject to other things, diverting the attention back to them. How's the weather where you live? How are your kids? Etc. So depending on what your typical negative critical comment or questions are that are lobbed at you by your difficult person or persons, you of course would have a different answer, but you get the point. It's preparation in advance. Now of course not everyone is going to be willing or able to write out an entire script of uh, how the entire family gathering is going to go, but it's like anything else. The better prepared you are, to defend yourself against an attack, then of course uh, the more successful you're going to be in fending it off, right? Right? Well, let's move on to number five. I love this one. It's again very, very practical and a lot easier for those of us who, like myself who are not writers to implement. Number five, choose your seat. Okay, now the way she characterizes this method is uh, applicable to a big dinner gathering like a holiday meal, but you could easily adapt this to uh, an office meeting. Um, in any case, she says, if you're going to a sit-down dinner, 
Don't wait until the last minute to pick your seat. Put your drink down next to a plate early into the evening, as soon as you have a good idea of who is going where. Better yet, recruit someone you like over to the table and say, Hey, sit here with me. I haven't talked to you in a while, and I would like to catch up. Exercise as much control as possible over the seating chart so you are next to someone safe. If I'm feeling extra vulnerable, I plop myself down at the kids' table. I would much rather talk about poop than the law of attraction or Scientology. She's got a great sense of humor.、Um, I think this is a fantastic idea.、Um, of course, you're not always lucky enough to know the seating arrangement in advance. And in some cases, there are pre assigned place cards at certain annual family gatherings. I know that sounds a little bit over the top, but it does happen.、Uh, so, but to the extent that you have any control over this whatsoever, Uh, this is a great strategy.、Um, make sure you don't wind up getting plopped right down next to the difficult person. And,、um, but I love the idea. Again, recruit someone you like to sit next to.、Um, <clears throat> you know, if it's that bad, you have to resort to sitting at the kids' table. Then maybe we need to work on some of the other steps more. But in any case, I also think that. You could envision how this technique、uh, may also play itself out at、uh, business meetings,、um, making sure you're not sitting next to the person nor sitting right across from them.、Uh, sit to where you would be at a difficult angle for them to uh, see uh, right in your direction. All right, moving on to number six. <clears throat> This one. A little more difficult takes a lot of practice. Six is send the difficult person loving kindness. Okay, now hear this out here, what she has to say. She goes on I know this is the last thing you want to do, but the science is in. By participating in a loving kindness meditation, where we offer Meta or loving kindness not only to people we admire but also to those we have difficulties with, we increase our positive emotions and release the negative ones. In the fourth stage of the meditation, you call to mind someone you're in a state of conflict with and you wish them well, or you could simply pray for the person. I do that when I'm really desperate to shed the bad feelings, and it does work. All right, now, well, she comes right out and says she knows this is the last thing you want to do, and、uh, this is definitely, definitely much more easier said than done.、Uh, not everyone knows anything about meditation, even those who do may not be familiar and have to admit, I don't know a lot about the specific. Loving kindness meditation, she refers to. But in general, of course, we know that as difficult as it may be, if you at least forgive, if not、uh, admire or offer loving kindness or pray for、uh, those we have difficulties with, then it does help. Because by holding on to these negative feelings 
for them, uh, feelings of uh, vengeful hatred or things like that, you're only hurting yourself by harboring that negative emotion inside of you. Your feeling that way has zero impact on them. Uh, so by letting go of that and turning that around into some semblance of message of kindness, if not loving kindness, uh, toward that person, then you're just letting that negative emotion go out of your body, uh, or like the expression goes, you're not allowing that negative person to rent so much space in your head, and it does help you feel better. Uh, so while it, it is somewhat difficult, I don't think you have to be an advanced meditator to get that to work. And finally, number seven of the seven ways to deal with difficult people, she says, there's always the walkaway method too. You don't have to talk to this person, you know. Compile a list of handy excuses that you can fire away when you see him approaching. Your bladder just got full. Your dog needs to be let out. Your coffee is in the microwave. Your appendix just exploded. You can only use that once. The options are endless. Like the conversation starters of the last point, you can even have some fun as you come up with ways to protect yourself from negativity. I do enjoy that. And again, she's showing her uh, sense of humor, which uh, is nice to see that it has survived her very difficult bout with depression that she described that she went through difficult and prolonged bout with serious depression. It's probably what helped her to get through. Um, I think this is a great idea. You just make some excuses up. Doorbell rang, you know, got to go by. Or, you know, obviously some of these will work when you're just dealing with someone on a one-on-one -on -one basis or certain situations at a business meeting or a dinner party. You'll have to come up with other ideas. Um, one of the favorite excuses all time that I've heard of uh, <clears throat> in my practice was um, someone dreaded going to see the same people at Christmas every year and finally – they got the idea of, well, you know, we're not going to make it this year. Uh, I entered this raffle at work, and I won it, and it's a cruise, and it's during Christmas, so we're going to go, and uh, we'll miss you terribly. I'm so sorry, but, you know, I'll, we'll send you a postcard. And, of course, there might be a lot of anger and, and consternation, but after you make the precedent of not being with them one year, it's over and done with, and it makes it easier to skip that gathering the next year. Well, we'll sum up these seven ways and have other mental health-related news after this commercial break. You're listening to Psychiatry Today with Dr. Scott. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. 
So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is Michael Gano with Insight to Israel. Every day, the Israeli Defense Force finds itself on the front line of the war with the militant arm of Islam. Surrounded by enemies from within and without, they fight for the only Jewish state. Military service is mandatory, ladies serving two years and men serving three right out of high school. While young people in other democracies are busy traveling or attending university, Israeli men and women gear up for basic training. In a world of heads of state, politicians, ambassadors, diplomats, and a leftist media, many times our voice at the grassroots level is drowned out. So we started an ongoing project called Hershey's for Heroes. Patriot conservatives from all over the U.S. are sending Hershey's chocolate bars with a note of thanks for defending Israel. Won't you join us by sending a sweet message to the IDF? For information, please see my Facebook page at Michael Gano. Thank you, God bless Patriot conservatives, and God bless Israel in her struggle for sovereignty and security. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to Psychiatry Today with your host, Dr. Scott Bay, your psychiatrist with all the latest mental health news. So we've just completed reviewing this wonderful article with seven ways to deal with difficult people, summing it up. Number one, knowing your vulnerable emotional areas. Review the difficult encounters with these people, stretching and breathing through them. Visualize them as either babbling toddlers or running water, just flowing off but not affecting your beautiful decorative wall that you are. Write out a script to be prepared for the inevitable difficult question or comments. Choose your location at any big gathering next to someone positive and away from the difficult person. Learn how to at least forgive, if not to admire or give loving kindness, at least in your own mind, to that person. And lastly, if you have to abruptly get away from the encounter with the person, Learn some creative or funny excuses to make a quick getaway. Many thanks to, uh, to the author, Therese Borchard, everydayhealth.com. Uh, great, great article. Enjoyed reading it. Enjoyed sharing it with you. Hopefully, uh, even though we're obviously past the holidays, hopefully this will help you gird yourself against the attack of a difficult person. Uh, the next time the holidays come around, the end of 2016, don't laugh, it'll be here before you know it, um, or year-round, whether it's work-related gatherings or other gatherings, what have you. Now, <clears throat> I have um, another article about 
Another common issue that many of us deal with, why songs get stuck in your head and how to make it stop. Okay, now I saw this article. I said, wow, they're talking about earworms, right? And sure enough, they mentioned that slang term in the article. And I'm like, sure, you know, people talk about this happening to them all the time. Uh, patients of mine have mentioned to this, this to me uh, many times over the years. So I decided to read the article, see if there were any practical tips that might help. Not sure whether they will or won't if you're one of those persons who has this problem, but I thought I would share it with you in the chance that it might help some or many of you. So here goes. We've all been there. You're out and about and you hear a passerby hum a few bars of that annoying song you hate and wham, that song instantly starts playing on repeat in your head and continues to do so for days. You can't make it stop even though you loathe that song. That song, my friends, is called an earworm. Victoria Williamson, an authority on music and the brain, tells us, fundamentally, an earworm is your brain singing. According to her, earworms happen often and are usually a neutral or enjoyable experience. But because we're more inclined to remember the things that annoy us, most people only notice and remember the few that actually agitate them. James Kelleris, a marketing professor at the University of Cincinnati, is known as the original Dr. Earworm after years of studying people with song snippets replaying in their brains. Who knew there was someone who studied this so intently, even making a career out of it? He found that 98% of us experience earworms, normally of a song rather than instrumental tune, interesting, and that while both women and men experience earworms, women were more likely to put up with them for much longer to the point of irritation. His research also suggests that musicians and those of us who worry are particularly susceptible, and who among us doesn't worry at least a little. Well, so far, when I was reading this the first time, I found this interesting. Because if I think of over my entire career, the one patient I can, that stands out in my mind as someone who complained of this the most uh, frequently and prevalently, sure enough, that person uh, was a musician and also had a lot of anxiety. So what do you do when that song sneaks into your brain and just won't leave you alone? As you know, trying to make an earworm go away is an exercise in frustration. Here are a few ways to approach the problem effectively. All right, so we'll go through the ways the author of this article suggests may help, and we'll uh, critique them as we go through. Number one, understand that your brain is trying to help you. Seriously. Well... The article says there's a friendly part of your brain that recognizes when stress starts mounting, say on your wedding day, before a big presentation, during an important meeting, etc. 
that same part of your gray matter also knows the healthy thing to do is de-escalate and eliminate some of that stress. Would you agree that this inner friend has a good reason to shift your attention? And who likes a friend who always nags? Your brain wants to tell you, slow down, don't stress. You'll never get it all done if you keep rushing around like a crazy person. But instead, it slides in a distraction, an earworm. Your brain knows you need to shift gears, and it knows how to choose the right or wrong song to accomplish exactly that. So basically, every annoying earworm actually comes with good intentions. Recognizing this gives you back your power. They're harmless and just trying to help you shift gears. Have you noticed that your average earworm doesn't really relate to anything? Normally, it's completely the wrong soundtrack for the current moment. What a downer. But the you that is the listener is still in charge. So what do you do? Right, well, that first point, I'm not so sure how much that helps to, to know and think of the earworm as your brain trying, in a, trying to be helpful to distract you from something stressful. Not sure that works or not. So let's go on to the other uh, advice it gives out. Number two, let the song play out completely in your mind. Now, before we even read the detail on this, this seemed appealing initially. I think a lot of how the earworms perpetuate themselves is you keep trying to stop it so the song may keep restarting, as it were. But if you actually stop and listen to the entire thing in your head, maybe it will finish and go away faster. Sounds a little bit strange, maybe, but let's see what they say. Resistance is futile, so instead of struggling against it, let the earworm complete itself by intentionally listening to the whole song in your mind. If you can force your player to rewind and play the tune from the beginning all the way to the end, which takes some concentration, this will often silence the earworm, at least for a while. To me, this is much more practical, much better chance of success. I highly suggest if you're subject to earworms a lot or the next time it does bother you, why don't you try it um, by actually playing the whole song out and hearing it end. That may do the trick. Number three, shift your brain to a complex activity. This is also uh, a practical tip. And here goes. You can also derail an earworm with some intense verbal activity a crossword puzzle, or meaningful conversation. This requires the opposite sort of brain function from passively listening to music. When you mentally shift gears and give your brain something new and complicated to think about, that nagging tune often fades into the background. This one really appeals to me. It's a way of deliberately engaging other circuits in your brain that would um, sort of take mental energy away from the area of the brain that's perpetuating the earworm. Uh, I think if you put someone in a functional MRI scanner and saw what areas of the brain were lit up when someone was experiencing an earworm, uh, by the way, it would be a very tall order to do that experiment, and then you gave them a complex task to work on, you would see different circuits light up and the earworm circuits, as it were, 
sort of uh, go darker. Bottom line, earworms seem like random torture, but they usually have a message you need to hear. No, not the song's lyrics. The message is you're under stress, you need to reduce it. So the author says, treat it as a gift. An earworm is a gateway to lowering stress. Treat it as an annoyance. Well, you already know how that always goes. Well, so overall, the article does have some useful tips. Uh, to sum up, it wants you to conceptualize the earworm as your brain's signal telling you you're stressed and you need some kind of distraction. And as far as specifically how to get that to stop, uh, I do like the two practical suggestions. Um, try to start the song in your head from the beginning and let it finish to the end as if uh, the CD or MP3 or record or cassette tape, 8-track, whatever technology you prefer, uh, is done and finished. That may help it stop more easily and even better, engage different circuits in the brain that are incompatible with attending to the earworm like crossword puzzle, conversation, something else to occupy your mind. So there you have it. And with that, I'm going to wrap up this week's podcast, the first one of 2016. And I want to thank all of you who tuned in to listen to it. Uh, I really, really appreciate your support. And I also want to emphasize that every time when I end the show saying I hope you have a wonderful stress-free week I really do mean that I really hope you do but if not then you need to call Dr. Scott thank you very very much for listening uh, and happy healthy new year happy mental health in the new year and let's have a 2016 without so much mental health related tragedy in it Good night, and thanks for listening. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.